Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I am here with Maya. So if you hear a little noise in the background, it is my fan. It's hotter than balls here. I told Maya that. I was like, we live in Connecticut, so it's not usually like super hot, but we live in an old ass house, so there is no air conditioning. Um, so I have the fan on the lowest setting. <laughs> so it doesn't mess with us. So on to Maya. Maya Stevens is known as Ms. Maya J. She is an international speaker, author, self-love, and voice empowerment coach that teaches millennials how to fall in love with themselves and find the confidence to use their voice to impact and transform their relationships at the core. And she's just saying she's going to drop a course soon. So if anybody listens to this and they're interested, definitely check her out. So her journey began from an injustice done to her and her three children that caused her family to be split and her then 10-month-old son wrongfully taken from her. And we're going to hear more about this in a little bit. Uh, it was during this devastating time that Maya discovered the deeper value and power of self-love. It was through self-love she was able to take responsibility for the unfortunate chain of events and regain her power as a better woman, mother, and influencer. Man, self-love is such an important thing. You can't even like heal, work through your shit until you love yourself. Her mission is to touch the hearts and change the lives of 1 billion people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> She's on a journey to release books in two years, starting with her first book, My First Love Is Me, coming soon. Coming attractions, guys. Um, we were just talking about it, so it will be coming soon. And her book, The Narcissist, I have a couple of those in my life, <laughs> yeah, which she writes as a mockery about the child services therapist false diagnosis to conspire against her in efforts to keep her son from her to empower and encourage others not to play victim and not to fall into the image others have of you she is deter determined to spread unconditional self-love she even instills it in her kids well welcome to the podcast maya thank you for having me megan she can see the sweat dripping off of me right now <laughs> um so I'd love to have you start us because people listen to your bio and they're like, what, how did your son get taken away from you? What the hell happened? Like, how is this possible? We're all thinking in our heads, like, oh my God, are our kids going to be taken away? Like, you know, I mean, when you applied, right. I was like, shit, what happened? <laughs> like, who's going to take my kids away now? Right. So right. I'd love for you, thing. right. I'd love for you to take us back and tell us about that. Okay, that was 2016. 2016 was my crisis year. A um, little bit of instability going on there. Had got evicted from my apartment. I lived in Ohio. Got evicted from my apartment. Um, my family, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so my family was close with a lady who I used to, she was the principal of a school I used to go to, a private school. And my mom was going through a similar crisis. So the lady reached out and she said, hey, I want to help you. I want to help your kids. My mom has three adult kids and two teenagers. So um, at the time, my sister wanted to finish her um, high school diploma. And 
this lady said, okay, I'll help her finish her high school diploma. At the time, she had a daughter. She said, I'll help her finish her high school diploma. I'll give all of you guys a place to stay. I own all these properties. You could come stay with us. Um, you can come stay at one of the properties, and I'll help you get on your feet type of deal. Well, we all get here. All of us have kids. My mom has the two younger ones, well, the two teenagers. My sister has her daughter. I have my three kids. I had I have two daughters and a son. So we moved here thinking she was going to deliver on what she said. Well, long story short, she pulls the rug from under us, um, rents a, wants to rent us a property for double what we're paying rent in Ohio. And we obviously don't have it. We all just hit this life crisis. So we're looking at her like, really? Um, and it just turns into this whole fiasco. And she's older, so she's kind of set in her ways. And she's a little manipulative vindictive and she's one of those people who are power mad so she likes the feeling of having people depend on her and she also doesn't like or I don't say she, I won't say she doesn't like but I don't think she knows what family unity is and my family and I were close so we felt as though she was trying to split our family up as in addition to being power med. So that led to her kicking me out of the house that I was staying at with my mom because it was an exchange. My mom was staying in one of our properties and working for her. She kicked me out. She kicked my kids out of school because she still owns the school that we went to. She kicked my kids out of school and over no real reason. Um, there was a misunderstanding about some paperwork that went through with childcare help. And she thought that it was my paperwork and it wasn't, it was her daughter's paperwork. And she kicked everybody out. Her and her daughter don't get along. So she kicked everybody out of school, out the property. And we're sneaking living in the property against her knowing. However, the property my mom lived on is adjacent to the school. So we had to dodge when she would come in for work and when she would leave to go home. And it was hard because my kids went to a different school. So we were leaving the house about the same time she was coming. And it was a lot of chaos and turmoil, but needless to say, we were homeless, basically. I didn't have my own home. And we were sneaking around. And this is the city of Pittsburgh. So the police take every little thing serious. CYF takes every little thing serious. So fast forward, um, I, my daughter was acting up in school and I couldn't get her behavior corrected. And I'm one of those moms, if I make a threat, I deliver. So if I say, I'm gonna put you on punishment next time, that's what's going to happen. So the threat I delivered to her was, if you don't get your act right, you're gonna get a spanking. So she didn't get her act right, she got a spanking. We go to Ohio to visit her dad, whom she never sees. Um, she had just seen him for the first time in like four years in August of 2016. We moved to Pittsburgh September of 2016. We go to visit Ohio in November of 2016. Um, he asked to see her, I let him see her. She has welts on her from the spanking. So he uses this as an opportunity to try to get custody of her because his mom's been trying to do that off and on her whole life for no reason. She just collects kids. He has like eight of them and she tries to collect all of them. So, <laughs> so we, um, I feel like you're talking about Pokemon here. Like you got to collect them all. You collect them all. That's her. That's her. Or for anybody like, who is as old as me, Pogs. Or Smurfs. Do you remember Pogs? Are you, no are you old enough? No. no. Um, 
Pogs. Anybody listening that remembers Pogs, you had to collect them all. Yes. So go ahead with your story. That's all I could think when you're like collecting them all. Yes. Yeah, Smurfs, Pogs. All, Smurfs. Yeah. That Pokemon. All of them. He went the whole community. That's her. Just give it to me. For no reason. Like, why do you want custody of all these people's kids, lady? So um, he used that as a way to get her, but he didn't know that child services in Ohio works completely different than Ohio, than Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh sees every little thing as abuse. Someone could call into CYF anonymously and lie on you and your kids will get taken. So, <laughs> um, I get, we go through this long thing. That's how the case got open. So they opened this case on my daughter. It comes back to Pittsburgh because we don't live in Ohio. I met at the door with CYF and the police. So they open up two investigations. My daughter's investigation comes up, um, what's the word? Not inconclusive, but basically that. They don't have anything. So they're about to close her case. And I asked my dad if he would take my daughters in Ohio um, while they're closing her case, because I didn't want them to get any ideas. And my son was 10 months at the time, and I was told by everybody in Pittsburgh, they like taking them young so they can adopt them out young. It's some bonus check or something. I haven't mm. proved it, but that's how they act, so I believe it. So I asked him to take the girls. Well, during the time her case was closing, my son falls down the steps in this house that my mom's living in, and the steps are rickety and yuck. He's young, he was learning how, he knew how to crawl up them, and he was following my sister back down them and didn't know how to crawl down them. And by the time my other sister was about to catch him, she missed. So it was all bad. So he's 10 months. The doctors are like, I would say the doctors are trained just to report you to CYS. So I already looked bad because I had an open case. No one wanted to believe that he fell down the stairs. I was in like panic mode. So I sent this group text that included my dad's girlfriend. And I was like, can you guys please pray that I don't have to go to the hospital? And my son was big for 10 months. He was about the size of a two-year-old. He was wearing 18-month clothes. And right now he's three. He wears five-year-old clothes. And he's in a size 11 shoe. That's a big kid. So it's basically like a two-year-old falling down the steps. A two-year-old is fine when he falls down the stairs. But people are focused on his age. So they're like, he's 10 months, you let him fall down the stairs. But long story, my dad gets involved from Ohio. Gets, my dad's one of those people who wants to make decisions for you. Um, he's very compulsive, and everything has to go his way or the highway. So he's like, you need to take him to the hospital. And I'm saying, you know, I'm still assessing the injuries. And then I still have to wait for my mom to take me because I'm not driving. A whole lot came into me taking him to the hospital. So he calls the paramedics from Ohio, which looks bad. Looks like abuse. If someone's calling from Ohio, it looks like a whole emergency. He's right. not thinking about that. He's thinking about, you won't do it, I'll do it. So he calls the paramedics. The paramedics come with the police. And the paramedic, one of, there was two paramedics. The one paramedic said, ah, your son's huge. My son's two, and he falls down the steps all the time. This is not an emergency. Your son's fine. Other paramedic says, well, you want to check for internal injuries and blah, blah. And the paramedics are kind of going at each other because the paramedic who wants me to go get him seen is secretly conversing on the side with the police officers. So I felt like the one paramedic was trying to warn me, if you go to the hospital, it's going to be a whole thing. Just stay here. And the other one's like, yes, go to the hospital. It's going to be a whole thing. So, <laughs> so, 
Uh, when you said that, I just imagined like a wicked witch. Like, yes. You know, oh, think about like Snow White where she's, you know, making the, the poisoned apple. apple. Yes, eat the apple. Yeah. It's good eat for you. That yeah. was them. That was them the whole time. So we, me being a mom, I do want to see if he has internal injuries. So I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, let's go. We get on the ambulance and the guy the whole time, he's like, you know, we could turn around anytime. You don't have to go if you don't want to. He's fine. I checked him out, blah, blah, blah. You could tell him I checked him out. He's really adamant about me not going. When we get about halfway there, he stops being adamant. And I'm intuitive, so I'm nervous at this point. I'm not nervous for what they're going to find. I'm nervous that they're going to take my son. Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to do it at the hospital. So then, and that was why I had asked everyone to pray that he doesn't have to go to the hospital because my daughter's case was in the middle of closing. So I knew they were going to categorize this as abuse, no matter what happened to him. He could have pricked his finger and I, I was the bad guy. I did it. So we go to the hospital. They treat it like he was abused. I got this neck brace on them. They're doing all this over dramatic stuff. They come and interrogate me. Um, the social worker comes and says, well, we have to tell your social worker. And I said, yeah, I figured that. Um, they're like, they're making up stuff why I need to stay the night. Literally, my son's fine. They come in. The doctors are like, oh, he's big for his age. He's in there. My son's in there laughing, cooing at them. He, he's fine. He has a bump on his head, a big bump on his head because he fell down the stairs, but that's it. He's fine. No concussion, no broken bones. He's fine. Fast forward. They're like, we need you to stay the night, blah, blah, blah. We stay the night. This pediatrician comes in who they call an abuse specialist. And I knew it was going downhill when she came in. She comes in and she says, the orthopedic doctor says that they see a healing fracture on the x-ray. And she said, I quote, I don't see anything, but I'm going to take a double check. And I said, okay. She comes back. She says, so there was, there is a healing fracture. And I don't understand what she's saying. <laughs> so I said, what the heck is that? What's a healing fracture? And she said, well, it's a fracture that's still healing. And I said, oh, I thought that was the specific term for it, a healing fracture. So I said, um, where is it? And she said, it's in his wrist. She said, do you know where he could have got it from? And I said, yeah, I know exactly where he got it from. He is quite active. And while we were in Ohio, um, at a different time, I think maybe, no, it actually might have been around the same time. Um, in November, because he didn't get to the hospital. He didn't fall on the steps till January. So in November, when we were visiting Ohio, he decides to jump off the back of the couch. And my catch was not fast enough. And I was noticing him crawl in his right, was it his left arm? It was his right or his left arm. was kind of buckling, to say the least. It was like collapsing when he would crawl. And I thought that was weird. So I took him to the hospital. Hospital in Ohio chooses not to do an x-ray. Mom suffers for it. So <laughs> I told her the incident. And at the time, I'm only thinking about the incident that happened that day. I'm only thinking about him falling down the steps and how I have to stay the night at the hospital. And they're not telling me what's going on. Right. I'm not thinking about the fracture in his arm. So I'm like, I don't know what happened in like October, November. He jumped off the couch, blah, blah. She says, huh? And there were no signs. I said, no just that he was crawling funny and I took him to the hospital. And she said, we're going to have to check to see if you took him to the hospital, just doing the most. So <laughs> I said, okay. Um, she said, but I'm also going to have to report this to your caseworker. And I said, yeah, I figured. And she said, he didn't, is he walking? And I said, nah, he's picking himself up, holding on to stuff, trying to walk. Yeah. Um, he falls down a lot. 
look at him. He's big. So um, she's like, you didn't see any swelling, any redness. And I said, okay, you're trying to act as though I neglect my son. Like he's just on this planet alone. I didn't see any swelling. I only saw his arm buckling underneath him when he was crawling. He was fine the next day. It says in the Ohio hospital report that they sat there for an hour and monitored him. They felt he was fine and didn't do an x-ray. The only reason I didn't know he had a fracture is because they didn't do an x-ray. Had they done an x-ray, you could call him up and get the x-rays or I could give you the x-rays or whatever. So anyway, she exaggerates the report all in her opinion. She says his wrist is still in the process of healing, which is impossible. It happened in November. This is January. So, and then and in Pittsburgh, they only take medical information from the medical professional. So I can't say it's not a fracture and someone believed me. So she's laying it on thick, Megan. She's, <laughs> she puts in a report. I would have noticed it was some serious trauma that happened, blah, blah, blah. So my caseworker looks at it and she says, okay, I'm just going to give you continued services because I think you need them. Um, no one's going to come take your son. We just want to help you. You seem like you need some help. So I said, okay. While I'm at the hospital, they come in and put a cast on my son. And he's like super baby because it took five doctors to hold him down for a cast on his wrist. When a doctor came in to put the cast on, he was upset. Now, what's the doctor upset about? that you're wasting his time putting a cast on a kid's wrist that doesn't need it. Why else is he upset before my son starts fighting him? So I took that into account. Fast forward, I have to come back to get his cast off. Well, before I get his cast off, I take him to another doctor. So it's not my word, my little word against her word. I take him to another doctor to confirm what my intuition told me. She looks at his wrist and she says it's, there was a fracture, but it's healed. It's, it's not healing. It's, it's healed. And she said, it's a buckle fracture. It's so minuscule that this is not a big deal. It's like a paper clip, um, a paper cut. She said it's, um, common in kids under two because their bones are softer. So it's like a compression fracture and it bounces back. It heals between about three to four weeks. So she said, you know, it's healed. It doesn't need a cast. Well, we go back to the hospital to get his cast off. At that point in time, the services that the social worker advised included an in-home care worker. So the in-home care worker came with me to the hospital as my witness that this doctor was evil. So we get there because people think I'm just making it up. You know, when you tell a story and people just assume you're coming from victim mode. No, with her as my witness, this doctor was straight conspiracy. So we get there. They take the cast off. They say, oh, he's fully healed. Duh. He's fully healed. Um, be careful, blah, blah, blah. We would like you to come in for a skeletal survey where they scan the whole body. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if this heifer didn't lie, <laughs> if she lied about <laughs> a fracture, what else is she going to lie about on a, on a skeletal survey? No, thank you. Next is going to be his toes or his, no thanks. So I asked for a different doctor to do the skeletal survey. And she comes with her attitude and she says, you have to get the skeletal survey done here and you have to get it done by me. And I said, well, that's not true because that violates my rights. I most definitely can request a different doctor and I'll just ask your supervisor if I can have a different doctor. And I said, I went to go get a second opinion and I'm not comfortable with you being his doctor. And she says, why would you go get a second opinion? <laughs> now, if you didn't do anything bad, 
why would you ask that question? Who asked that question? Why would you go get a second opinion? So she says, I'm going to tell your caseworker that you're not being compliant. And I'm going to tell her how dangerous it is that you're not being compliant or whatever. So I took that to mean I'm going to lie and exaggerate your report so that they come take your kid was what I was hearing. So I said to her, that's fine. You can report that. They'll probably come take my son. And when I get my son back, you won't have a job anymore because I'm going to sue you. So enjoy. This will be the last kid that you torture. So that's exactly what happened. She goes and exaggerates the report. My caseworkers, she goes and tells them that they need to interview me immediately. She's concerned about his safety. I'm not letting her examine him. No, she says, I'm not letting any doctor examine him. I don't want him to have an x-ray, blah, blah, blah. They come in. They do an interview. They act like everything's cool. That weekend happens, then that next Monday, they're sneaking to try to come pick up my son. Well, my mom, the property my mom lived on, again, is adjacent to the lady's school, and that lady has connections. It's a private school. Doctors, lawyers, attorneys send their kids to her school. So one of the CYS people said, called her and said, um, not one of my caseworkers, but someone she knew, called her and said, um, CYF is on their way to your property. Um, what's going on? Are you okay? Blah, blah, blah. So she, of course, informed my mom, who informed me. So I left. They come to try to pick them up, and I'm racking my brain how to get away from them, thinking, okay, I got 60 bucks. I could hop to Greyhound somewhere. <laughs> but then my in-home worker, she's calling me saying, don't leave town. That'll be called kidnapping. You'll never get them back. They'll send you to prison for stuff you don't deserve. Just give them the baby, blah, blah. She's like, I'm going to come pick you up. We can work this out. So she comes to pick me up. She talks me through it because – I'm a good person. I do the right thing 98% of the time. So we end up having to drive him down there to give my son up. I'm mixed emotions between broken and pissed off. So we get down there. The in-home worker is telling me all the illegal stuff that they did. She's like, this program means that you can't take him. This program isn't even over. You're not abiding by the rules. You were never supposed to take him without letting her know that you were getting an emergency custody order. You didn't let her know. Um, she's like, listen, all the stuff that they were doing. And she said, this isn't right. And she was kind of on my side. So everything she's saying, I'm writing it down because that was my next step. I just was like, everybody's getting sued. So <laughs> um, they take him. I give him up. And then I go through this long process of ridiculous court dates and parenting classes that I don't need, and visitation, and then um, a relative, well, she's not really a relative. We grew up with her, um, but we consider her a relative. The lady who owns the school, her daughter, we consider her like our aunt. So she said she would take my son so that he wouldn't be with a strange family. So he was with a strange family for about a week. He got injured at her house, which I didn't make a big deal of because he's always falling down. But if he gets injured in my care and I'm the bad guy, how can he get injured in the foster care? And that's not a problem. So anyway, he's with my aunt and she lives around the corner from my mom. So I get to see him a lot and they call it liberal visitation. Like you can see him whenever she says you can see him, blah, blah, blah. We did this for about a year and a half. Police come back with a warrant. They assigned me, first of all, they assigned me this angry racist cop who was determined to find something. And 
um, she comes back. My warrant comes out two months later. She's looking for me. So um, one of my other aunts, she calls and says, the police came to my house looking for you. Then my mom calls and says, the police came to my house looking for you. So she can't find me because I'm in Texas. So I decided when I come back, I'll turn myself in. I come back, I turn myself in. I do 30 days in jail. This is my first time ever being in legal trouble, ever being in jail. Come back, do 30 days in jail because they set my bail at $20,000 because this cop gave me all of the violent charges she could think of. And it was for my daughter's case and then my son's case. And I said, how can I get charges for my son falling down the steps? And she says to me, it's not for him falling down the steps. It's because you delayed medical care. I said, I took him three hours later. It was a fall down the stairs. That's not necessarily an emergency. And now you feel as though I deserve jail time for taking him three hours later. So I am, they're taking my son for taking him to the hospital. And they're giving me medical charges for quote unquote, not, not medical charges. They're giving me criminal charges for quote unquote, not taking him to the hospital. So both are illegal, right? So <laughs> you can't win. It's a, it's a whole setup. So I'm getting railroaded, railroaded because I know my rights. So I'm in court basically trying to be my own attorney with uh, an advocate. And I'm telling him what to say, giving him paperwork, telling CYF, like, this is against the rules. This is against the rules. This is against the rules. This is um, federal misconduct. This is this. This is that. Case goes on for 18 months because I'm a little too smart. And people who would come in and out through CYF, like there was an agency, there was a point in time where the lady who had my son, we weren't getting along. So we had to go through a transportation company for him to come to my house. The people who would come and supervise were like, you're, you're not even a case that we should have. And you're being railroaded because you know your rights. Like, I almost want to tell you to stop fighting because this is why it's happening so long. It's not fair, but this is why it's happening so long. You're just too smart in the wrong place. Goes on for 18 months. I'm going through all the emotional roller coasters of my son being taken. Never had that before. I always wanted a son. My daughters are in Ohio, so I'm keeping it a secret from them that he's even taken. His dad is irate. And at the time, his dad was one of those people who would compare parents. So I'm going through the emotions of not having my son, dealing with legal trouble for the first time. I just did 30 days in jail for the first time ever in my life. And I was done after the first 13 hours. Like that place is not. Ugh. And I was, it was the lowest point of my life. And in jail, they have this program called the hope program. And they said that I could get a therapist. And if I wanted to keep her, I could keep her outside of jail. So I said, give me the therapist. And I need her to be African-American because I need her to relate to me. And I need her to have like some spiritual background. So they said, okay. And they give me this awesome lady. And I told her, I asked for a therapist because I don't think I'm going to make it out of here. This place will, will break you down. And I've lost pretty much everything. I don't have my kids. So technically, I don't actually need to live for anything, really. <laughs> I just went to jail for something that I don't deserve. When people read my record, they're going to judge my record and not my person. So I'm screwed. They, they pretty much screwed me for life. And the food here, I refuse. And by that point, it was like a week and a half in, and I wasn't eating at all. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to die here. So I got a therapist. 
to see if you can help me through some of this while I'm in here because I guess there's this piece of me that wants to make it through this, but there's this bigger piece of me that's like, screw this. So get through it. I get to keep my therapist. Get out of jail. My therapist is helping me. We have weekly sessions, and sometimes she'll call me and check up on me, make sure I'm okay, adjusting after getting out of jail, blah, blah. And it came to a point one day. Um, I had I was doing social media management for coaches, so I met a lot of coaches. And some were spiritual and some were just law of attraction and then some were practical. And you learn a lot from watching all their free content and stuff. And I said, hmm, maybe, you know, I could get enlightened. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe this did happen for a reason. Let me not look at all the bad. So I started following a coach. They're a couple um, named Sonica and Embiid Asif or Asif or Asif. Not really sure how they pronounce their last name, but I started following them. And they're what's called fifth dimension manifestors. So they're completely unhuman, basically. Um, like their human does not bother them at all. They're not, they don't get caught up in their emotions. They don't emotionally attach to physical or certain events. And I just was like, that is so magical. Show me what to do, right? Because I'm emotionally attached to my son. I'm emotionally attached to them taking him. I'm emotionally attached to all the stuff that's going on, and it's not good because I'm obviously attracting more crap. So I get to follow on them, and um, they're showing me a few things, and I'm practicing a few things, and I'm learning how to meditate and receive answers through meditation, and that was going good. And then one day I had a bad down day. And I just cried because I hadn't been crying. All these events were happening back to back. I didn't have any time to grieve. And one day I was alone and I just, just started bawling. And I was like, God, this is completely unfair. And I know you're going to tell me Jesus went through unfair stuff too. However, he was directly God, okay? <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> my concept of me being directly God is minuscule. Like, I feel real human. So, don't tell me that Jesus did it. Don't tell me like I'm not Jesus. I think this is completely unfair. You know, these, these are my kids. Why did you give me these kids? If you knew they were going to get, well, if you knew one was going to get taken later. And when I was pregnant, I was always praying, you know, don't let anything happen to my son. But I was mostly praying about the violence and stuff. So I'm like, God, you, you need to show me like, what, what this is. Because <laughs> on a good day, I'm good. And on a bad day, I just want to check out. So if there's some purpose in this, uh, you need to just start spilling signs and they need to be obvious. And I fell asleep while I was meditating after I cried and prayed and then I fell asleep. And my wake up moment was when I woke up, I went to the bathroom, I looked at myself in the mirror and I kind of looked like crap. And when people think at the time they were like, you wouldn't even be able to tell you're going through something, but <laughs> looked in the mirror and I forget what it was that I heard in the back of my mind. But I remember saying to myself, you lack like a lot of self-love. You're looking outside of you for things that you can only find in you. And you brought this situation on yourself energetically. So I went to meditate again. Energetically, I had brought this situation on myself because I was stressed out having kids. And the stress came from me resenting the fact that I had kids. Before I had kids, I didn't like kids. 
Now, that's just my truth. <laughs> Before I had kids, I didn't like them. And I would tell people, you know, I don't babysit past an hour. If you love your kid, you won't let me babysit past an hour. I don't like no, them. That's my truth, too. I didn't like kids before I had kids. I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't no, like I feel them. you. Yeah. No, I feel um, you. I don't like them. And then I met um, a coach named Wani, and she actually walked me through this on a phone call. And she was like, I need you to dig deeper. And I need you not to be embarrassed about the truth that's going to come out. So we're talking, and I'm telling her that I was in and having kids. Oh, no, I'm telling her that I, I – Never wanted to have kids. I didn't like them. And then I had my daughter. And that was cool, right? It was just one kid. We had a good relationship. That was cool. Then I had the second kid. The second kid, the dad decided not to be there. And I was angry. And then the third kid didn't come till way later. So I can't really include him. But my life was crap when my second daughter came. So I felt like I jaded her. I'm bringing you into this world with no dad. We're struggling to keep our home. My money is up and down. What did I just do? And I was always scared to have kids because I felt like I couldn't love them at full capacity. My dad was, <laughs> my dad was quite a force to be reckoned with. So I didn't feel like I could love them at full capacity and I was scared to have kids. And this coach brings it out on the call and she says, you energetically brought that situation because you didn't want kids because you had kids, there's this piece of you that subconsciously feels like they ruined your life. You had dreams and you didn't live your dreams because you had kids. And you have people telling you it's not right to live your dreams because you have kids. So you're angry. And she said, let me ask you, how many times did you spend alone crying? And I said, a lot. Kids are stressful. <laughs> they don't come with a manual. They're so cute and they're so fun. But <laughs> The person who says, I absolutely love this job is a lie because I, I don't. I don't love the job. I love the kid. I don't love the job. Same here. Same here. <laughs> Same. So she was like, and that's how you energetically attracted it. <laughs> energetically, you didn't want them. So now they're gone. That's what you wanted energetically. Consciously, mm -hmm. that's not what you wanted. But energetically, you got what you asked for. And I said, oh, shoot. <laughs> I said, well, what do I do? And she said, well, now you're aware of it, so you can change the energy. But that wasn't helping me. And I paid for like a 90-minute session call or something or a 60-minute session call. And then, you know, like the ongoing sessions cost trillions of dollars. So I wasn't doing it um, at the time. This was before I had my concept of what coaches are. So back then, my beliefs were, you know, that cost too much. Are you going to change my life for that amount of money? Blah, blah. Right. So, <laughs> like, what are you even talking about? So... I tried to look for the answers myself because again, I'm still following those two coaches, the couple, <clears throat> and they're always posting free content or affordable content if it's not free. And I was always just pouring money into it because they work, they represent magic to me. Like they're, when I say they're not from this dimension, I'm so serious. You just have one conversation with them and you'll be like, Oh, I see what she means. I feel the shift and nothing even happened to me yet. <laughs> But I was following them, and then um, they teach you something called shadow alchemy, and there was an offer that the husband had to do a two-week coaching with him through Voxer, and I was like, let's do that. And we did that, and we did a shadow alchemy, which is to dig up a really deep subconscious belief in where it comes from, what the root of it is. And we dug and dug and dug and found out, like, I, have some, I had some really deep-rooted subconscious beliefs around my dad feeling like my dad was 
a fraud or feeling like my dad wasn't there. He lied to us and it, I really didn't realize the impact that it had. So we go in and we clear that out, bring it out. And he's like, what does it mean to you not to make money? Or what does it mean to you to be a fraud? Or what does it mean to you to blah, blah, blah. And we're digging all this stuff out. <clears throat> and I meditated that night. And in meditation, there was this voice, so to speak. And um, they said, now that you've cleared that, it's time for us to love us. Like we, we need to get back to the root. And that was when I started looking up on Google, well, what the heck is self-love? You know, um, I do love myself. You know, people generally think they love themselves. So I'm like, I do love myself, blah, blah. What is this? Get on Google. Like what is self-love? It doesn't break it down enough. And then again, I'm now on the spiritual journey. So it really doesn't break it down enough. Looking up what is it, how to do it, what it means, who's doing it. No one's really doing it. No one's really teaching it at a deeper level. They're teaching it at the surface. People are correlating self-care with self-love, which it is, but it's not just that. So if you're only doing self-care as a form of self-love, you're missing it. So I was looking into it more, and I asked, like, give me some ideas on how I can love myself. And they said, well, first, um, well, the guidance I got was first, you need to go in and you need to heal the piece of you that has these bullcrap beliefs about having kids. Your kids are a blessing. And they come, the reason they are a blessing is not just because they're kids. Your power is in them. You no longer, like, you still have your own power, but you were given them to, like, accentuate your power. So your power is in them. And you have to love you to see what your power is, what their power is. And as a team, you know, you guys make that come to life. So I started journaling. Well, I always journal, but I started journaling specifically about self-love. So I would write out <clears throat> the things I didn't like about me. And then I would write out the things that I do like about me. Um, I would also write out because it has stuck with me that I energetically attracted my kids being taken. So I wanted to energetically attract, well, my son, I wanted to energetically attract him coming back and this never happening again. And me being able to invest properly well, digging deep into self-love and meditating, asking for answers brought a lot of stuff on. And I learned that we love with half of the version of love that our dad has and half of the version of love that our mom has from their parents who loved them with half of the version of the love that was brought onto them. So it's a generational thing. So they're loving you with what their parents gave and what their parents didn't give and what they felt like their parents should have gave and what, their, what they felt like their parents was enough. And my dad, he has a lot of healing to do. He had a traumatic childhood and he never healed from it. And he's loving with broken love so he invested his broken love into his kids thinking you know this is the right thing to do if i just love them the best i can that's all that should matter never taking the time to heal and i told myself while my kids are gone i'm going to heal me and then i'm going to learn to love me at full capacity the fullest capacity i can because there's no 100 percent probably so when my kids come back i can love them at full capacity and then I can teach them to love themselves because in truth, 
parents don't teach kids to love themselves. It's like we're supposed to come into the world and already know that. Or the few times that your dad or your mom says you're so beautiful, that's supposed to be it for the rest of your life. You're supposed to just know you're beautiful and this is me and the confidence is just supposed to be there and it's not. And I started um, changing the way I looked at certain things. So I changed the way I saw my kids and it wasn't an overnight thing. I'm explaining it like it was overnight, but it wasn't. It's literally a daily exercise. And I got to a point where the things that my dad would say to me, because sometimes he'll say things that cut, and he's one of those people who will bring up your past and make you keep living your past. And every time we would speak, we'd argue. He had my kids, and he'd argue. we'd argue. And That's my mom. That's my mom. I just broke up with her the other day. I was just like, I wrote a letter and I was just like, I can't until you get help and heal your shit. I can't do this anymore. Cause it's not, I'm not, it's not my responsibility to heal you and you keep projecting on me and I'm not going to do this anymore. She said she wished I was never born. That was self-love. Cause for I you. ruined her life. I was like, okay. No. Okay. Girlfriend. Um, that yeah. was self-love for you, and that right. was your mom's reflection that she needs some self-love. So we are getting short on time. Oh, so what sorry. I need you to do, it's okay, mm -hmm. it, it goes by really fast, is to take us to where you had to get in order to get your kids back and how that happened. I got to a place where I didn't care. <laughs> I won't say I didn't care, but to the human world, it looked like I didn't care. And you but it took a lot of work. All the work you just explained to us and a more. And a lot of work. Yeah. It took unhating myself because I came to a place where I realized I actually did hate myself. Right. <laughs> so I was just like, you just keep making bad decisions after bad decisions, stupid. So I came to came out of unhating myself. Um, I came to a point where people's – and this is just daily – Speaking to yourself, daily journaling, daily meditating, slowly, things start to happen for you. You don't have to make them happen. You just need to be aware, have the desire to want to let it go, and ask for it. Like, I want to learn to fully love myself. And then it's like the universe or God or something magic is like, boom, like, here's all of it. <laughs> Here's all of it a day at a time. So I was pouring in a day at a time. And then I remember asking, how can I, like, I need some evidence that this self-love thing is working. All I'm, I feel good, but I need some evidence that it's working. Right. First piece of evidence was I didn't hate the caseworkers anymore. But we, I, ugh, ugh, I didn't hate the caseworkers anymore. And I don't want to say the words on podcasts, but it, it was extreme. And I started um, not pretending, but I started to change how I saw them, though this wasn't the truth. I still changed how I saw them. And I told myself, you know, they're going to extreme measures to protect my son. If I was a mom who just beat the crap out of him for no reason, they're actually looking out for him. Right. And I softened it a little bit. And then my son and I were close. He's a mama's boy. So I was always telling myself, like, no matter what they do, it's not going to rupture the bond. Every time he sees you, he knows you're his mom. Anytime somebody says, you're mommy, in his presence, he says, mommy, you're still number one. So relax. And it's always been about the relationship to me. So that helped me a whole lot. Changed the way I saw 
the caseworkers. I think I had even sent them Christmas cards at one point in time. Then wow. I get, when I got released from jail, I had what's called pretrial services. So it's kind of like a probation officer, but pre-probation. Mm-hmm. So I had to check in and there were these two main officers I would check in with and this guy who sat at the front desk and I learned everybody's name and I sent them Christmas cards and they really liked me before I sent them Christmas cards. Now, mind you, I hated everybody involved, even though they had nothing to really do with anything. Just the fact that I even have to see you every day, you're, you're interrupting my life. Like I, I didn't like anybody and my self-love reflected and I was doing acts of kindness. I was nice to people. Um, I didn't care. In manifesting, they say you have to get to a place where your emotions aren't attached. Like, if this happens, great. If this doesn't happen, great. And that's a hard place to get to with your son. So I just was like, okay. If they, bring, if they give him back, great. If they don't give him back, great. I've had a lot of growth and a lot of awareness. And that's worth it. And maybe, you know, I'm not God. Maybe it's a bigger plan. And if it's bigger plan is like, hey, I just needed you to bring these kids into the world. I'm going to take them a different direction. That's his plan. And I need to emotionally unattach. And I emotionally unattached and stopped hating the judge who was making ridiculous decisions. <laughs> stopped hating everybody involved. And I started working on my book. When you take your attention off of something, you allow space for whatever you're wanting to manifest. So I started working on my book and I poured all of my emotions into my book, the last of my emotions. And um, the book about my son being taken, I pour all the emotions into there. Chapter one, you'll get Terry Hyde in chapter one. It's called um, Surviving a Shot to the Heart. And I explain the statistics on um, the survival rate for being shot in the heart and the equivalent to what I felt like it was. Yeah. But anyway. That was where I drew my attention was to so that book. So people need to follow you so they can get the book when it comes out. Yes. Yeah. And I'll link all your um, links up in the show notes. So you have your son now? I do have my son now. He's Yay. actually hanging out with his dad right now in Ohio. Yay. <laughs> so you did all of this work and it brought your son back to you, but it required it you to do the work on yourself in order for it to happen, which is what I want really people to take away from our conversation is we got to see you from this one place, you know, struggling, living with your mom, having to hide it to now you have your son back. You are teaching people about self-love. You have been working on yourself this whole time. So as we wrap up the podcast today, What is, what is something that you would like one thing or a collection of things you'd like to leave the audience with kind of like your last words to the podcast audience? My last words are whatever, whatever you think self-love is dig deeper. What they're teaching out there is only surface dig deeper. I say that about self-care too. I'm like, they only teach you surface level shit. Yeah. They're like, go dip your feet in the pedicure bowl when you don't have time for you. Make time for you this day and go get a pedicure. Right. You didn't act as self-care, self-love, but when you leave the pedicure place, you still don't love you. So. Right. (laughs) Yes. No, exactly. You just have nice feet now. (laughs) 
No, exactly. So keep digging deeper. Follow Maya in all the places, which I'll link up in the show notes for everybody too. So she can share her wisdom about self-love and, you know, going through what she did and being able to get her kids back and say, you know what, not only do I love my kids, which I I mean, I did say earlier, I, I love my kids. You know what I mean? I got to that place, but I did for a little while. I didn't, it's not that I didn't love them. I did resent them, you know, like you were talking about being a mom. Right. But I had to heal my shit in order to become a better mom and a better person, the same as you. So Hopefully people will follow you in all the places and be able to connect with you and learn from you so they can start to love themselves as well. So Maya, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Megan. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.